Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Um, well, uh, if you've got your Bible app open and if you've got your the paper bulletin, however you're tracking along, we're in the fourth part of our free reign series, which we're looking at what it means to really live free. I get it. You think, Pastor Brandon, you spelled it wrong. It's a, it's a horse term. Uh, no, it's a kingdom term, as we find freedom when we let Jesus reign. So let's track along with this idea that in Christ, we are free, and we're free to live under the reign of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 3, Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth, and he says, now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where we let him be Lord, that's where freedom exists. We feel like sometimes that we can kind of go our own way, struggle through things, create our own space for ourselves, and we will find ourselves simply building cages for ourselves instead of living in the freedom we have in Christ. If the more we let him reign, the bigger our freedom gets. And if we will grow in that, lean into that, invite Jesus to reign in more and more and more spaces of our life, we will see that freedom really to begin to develop and to grow in our lives. Uh, verse 18 goes on to say, and we all, this is every believer, so nobody's left out of this, who with unveiled faces contemplate, think about the Lord's glory, are being transformed, we're being changed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Comes from the Lord, his Lordship, as we lean into him. Now, we've talked about every week that this is kind of some Hebrew imagery here, um, you know, that Moses on Mount Sinai had his connection with God, and when he left the mountain, he was glowing. He was, his, he was literally radiating light. And, but it was diminishing. It was getting less and less and less, and it freaked people out. And so he put a veil over his face so people could not watch him slowly diminish in his glow. But Paul says we're direct opposite. We get the light of the life of Jesus on the inside of us, and yes, our lives aren't perfectly Christ-like, but we don't have to put a veil over ourselves. We can just kind of go ahead, say, you know what? I love Jesus. My life isn't together. I'm not here to judge you, but I'm here to just love you, love God, and, and move forward and let that. We can, with unveiled faces, allow the growth process to take place in our lives. And that is the way this is honestly supposed to work. But so many times we have our initial moment. For those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, whether that was last week or 20-something years ago or longer than that, we can remember the Holy Spirit moving on our hearts, echoing the truth that we read in the Scriptures. If we were alone and reading the Scriptures or somebody was talking to us, a friend or neighbor, or maybe a, a setting like this, that there was a preacher, and it came up, the idea that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by Him, that God loves us and demonstrated that love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that God is, has reconciled us. He's made things right. And our hearts said, yes, that is true. I believe it. 
I've placed my faith in that. And we have that moment and it is like, yeah, the weights fall off and it's so wonderful. And we're like, yes, and it gives us immediate hope. And then we begin to move forward in our growth relationship with God. We can call that discipleship or however you want to call that. And we begin to move forward and all of a sudden life happens. We begin, things begin to get a little bit more um, in a cycle. We begin to get a little more routine. We lose the joy of our salvation and we find ourselves having been set free in Christ, but find ourselves in a new kind of cage. And it reminds me of the story of uh, my pastor, John Holler, um, had told uh, many times, and I've shared with y'all before, of the old circus bear. And, and there was a circus back in the, when the railroad was the main mode of transportation that would go along the rail lines and carry their circus from, from town to town and, and um, had their different attractions and all these different things. And along the way, um, they captured uh, a ferocious bear. And this bear was just absolutely uh, just terrifying. And they got this bear into a cage and he would growl and he would hit the bars and, and he was just angry. He was an angry bear at being caged up and taken out of his natural free habitat. And so guess what? I mean, people paid money to get scared. They got freaked out. People still do it today. And so they would go and see the bear and it would attack them at the cage, get held back by the bars and, oh, it was exhilarating. Ooh, the scary bear. And, and, but guess what? Time went by and the bear began to realize the bars were not going to give and began to, to just kind of give up a little bit and would not get as angry as often, would not be quite as ferocious. His roar lost its edge and so one of, the nur- one of the nursery, oh, Lord, sometimes that happens in the nursery. So um, <laughs> one of the circus workers um, uh, would get a stick and poke the bear. Hopefully nobody's poking anybody over there with sticks. And so, but they would poke the bear to get it angry again and get it riled up again. And it actually inflict wounds on this bear to just make it get angry and and make the crowd be wowed at this bear. And over a period of time, even that began to lose its effect. And the bear, just to survive, got into this routine. And the bear would begin to pace in its little cage. And he would take three steps forward, hit the end of the cage, turn around, take three steps back take three steps forward and three steps back and they would poke him and yell at him and do all sorts of stuff and just would zone out all of the stuff and just do three steps forward and three steps back and three steps forward and three steps back. And it wasn't long and the circus saw that this bear was costing more to to be fed and taking up a spot and and was not bringing in any revenue. It was not exciting to go and watch a pacing bear, just a bear go back and forth in a cage and finally decided they were just gonna get rid of the bear and a benevolent person who had a heart for the bear uh, said, you know what, I'll buy the bear and took the bear, got it transferred into another cage and, and took it out into the woods to set it free, to let it be free and spend the remainder of its life Whatever might be left, enjoying the freedom a bear should be able to enjoy. And 
The whole time, the bear, even in the new cage, three steps forward, three steps back, three steps forward, three steps back. And they get it out into the, to the field and out into the space in the woods where it's going to go. And they remember the stories of how ferocious this bear had been. So they didn't know what's going to happen when they, let the, when they let the cage open. They have no idea what's going to go on. So, so one brave soul gets on top of the cage to open the, the, the door at the end. And they are ready, with, uh, ready with, to, uh, and, and prepared for who knows what. Pull the end of the cage open and the bear walks three steps forward, three steps, and then gets in. There's no bars. There's open. The bear sees a, a new space, sticks his head out, climbs out, out of the cage, in the open space, exactly where he's supposed to be, free as he could ever be. Everybody is just ready to just see him lope away into freedom, just walk away, just begin to be a bear. And the bear in that moment drops his head and then total freedom, walks three steps forward and three steps back. Three steps forward and three steps back. Three steps forward and three steps back. And in a heartbreak, they watch for hours, hoping he's going to break out of it, hoping he's going to finally realize he's free and just paces three steps forward and three steps back. And he just never does. He was free. His freedom had been bought. It was his. He was placed in a big space where everything a bear could want was available. And he was still in a cage in his mind was still in a cage in his mind. And he got to the point that at that point, the benevolent thing to do was instead of letting him slowly starve to death was to actually put the bear down. The bear was in total freedom and never enjoyed the freedom. That is Paul's point of heartbreak as he writes to the Galatians. He writes to say, please don't go back to the bondage of trying to live under the law. Christ set you free, and it is going to try to come in. Week one in chapter one, that's the very first thing we, that Paul addresses is, is don't let the legalists, don't let the law keepers try to come in and force all of this back on you. And in the second chapter, he's like, don't let people's opinions of the way you're supposed to live this Christian life come in and begin to build a different kind of cage. You get out of the law cage, and then you get into the people's opinion cage. And then finally, we're at, today, we're in chapter three. And man, and he just, he, just, he just goes there because it's foolish to think that we can finish something that only God could start. If Jesus had to leave the splendor of heaven, come to earth, live a life to show us what God really looked like, to die on the cross, be buried and rose again because we could not fix it ourselves at all. Nobody, not the best of us, could do it. If it took that, if it took heaven's best to start it, don't we think it takes heaven's best to carry it out? Why would we go back into that space? Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 says, you foolish Galatians. Here in the middle of it, he finally gets to what he's really wanting to say. He gets into it in the first couple of chapters, but here he just opens up. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's put a little spell on you? Who's fascinated you is what that word bewitched means. Is it put this thing in your head that's just got a grip. It's just fascinated you and you, you're fixated on it. 
Who's come in here and fascinated you and, and taken your attention off? Before your very eyes, Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. You understood that this was about what Jesus has done, that this, that is this, what this is about, but this thing comes in here and it begins to twist your view of it. Verse two, it says, I, I would like to learn just one thing from you. It's like, I don't, I don't have a whole list. I'm not gonna interrogate you for hours. I've got one thing I wanna know. One thing I wanna know from you. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law, by doing everything the Old Testament told you to do, or by believing what you heard? Did you receive this because you did all of that stuff just right? You did all of the religious stuff just right or because you believe that Jesus accomplished it, you heard it and you placed your faith in it? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Are you now all of a sudden that, yes, Jesus had to do the heavy lifting, but I've got to do my little bitty part? Well, guess what? If it's incomplete without your little bitty part, you know who's the hero of the story? Your little bitty part. No, it's not. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus is the one who's done it. Jesus is the one who's done it first to last. And Paul says, don't get off page on this. I want to know one thing. You started in the spirit. Why? Who's come in and messed you up? What is going on here? He says, have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and, and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Are you seeing God's blessing because you're doing everything just right? And how many of us all of a sudden say, yeah, God's a good, gracious God. But man, if I don't toe the line, there's no blessing in here. He's like, you're seeing miracles. You guys are seeing miracles. And is it because you're doing everything just right? Or is it because the Holy Spirit's at work? Is it because you believed what you heard? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. The first wind, beautiful wind of teaching that we embrace is the truth of the gospel. That God was in Christ, making you and I right. That God was in Christ and reconciling us, that taking away the sin of the world, not just of believers, of the world. That's the good news. God's dealt with everybody's sin. Not that you can have your sin dealt with, it's dealt with. That's the good news. It's amazing news. Do we believe that? Or are we tossed by every wind of teaching and cunning craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming? Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ. That is where we're going. See, we can never forget what makes us right with God. 
We go on to read verse 6. It says, now consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. The idea that everybody was going to be able to get in on salvation in Jesus was announced to Abraham. It's good news, but it's ancient news. It's been around a long time. It's been on God's heart for a long time, for, for all of us to be genuinely, truly, fully blessed. And here was Abraham who was not perfect, but he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He didn't have righteousness. He needed righteousness. And because he believed God, it, it was accounted. He says, okay, I'm going to take your belief and I'm going to call that righteousness. God accounted it. God's God and he can do it. And so he called that righteousness. Now, righteousness is kind of one of those words that we can kind of get freaked out by. It's it's kind of a little spooky word. It's not a word we want to lean up into and talk about a lot or get it. We're like, I just know I'm not right, so I don't know that I really want to get into all of what is right and righteousness. And and so, and I dare to say, I'm going to put myself out on a big old limb here and say nobody got the word righteousness in a text this week. I'm just going to go out on a limb. Nobody got the word righteousness in a text. It's not a word we use. We don't use it. It's a churchy word. And as churchy words go, it's a creepy word. Because we're like, oh, my gosh, that's just God. And, ah, mm, you know, I, I like grace, you know. <laughs> I like that word. Let's not talk about righteousness. Right? That's the reason I need grace is because I'm not that. And so I don't want to look at that. And so we can tend to shy away from it when that is what God is taking us to. It's like trying to drive your car towards a destination you refuse to look at. Like, Lord, get me there. Your grace is enough. Sorry, I didn't even clutch. And so, um, but it it is this place where we have to say, what does this look like? But we're intimidated by it because it's a creepy word. Because it's just, it's so not us. It's, it's God and God alone, and we can't shy away from it just because it sets us off. And so a, a word that reminds me of that is, is uh, there's this, this word that if you didn't know, it was this beautiful, delicate, paper-thin flower. You'd be afraid of this word. This is the word bougainvillea. And bougainvillea, it sounds like something that is a, that is a monster, it sounds like something parents say, uh, you better eat your vegetables or the bougainvillea is going to get you. <laughs> and so it sounds like something that a kid says, mom and daddy, I think the bougainvillea is under my bed. And so it just is a scary sounding word. If you didn't already know that it was this beautiful little silky, delicate flower, you just hear that word and you think it's eight foot tall, hairy, 350 pounds with fangs. And it's coming after you. The bougainvillea is coming. And so, but it's not. We understand what it is, so consequently we don't, even though it's a scary sound of word, we don't shy away from it. The more we understand what righteousness is, and it is simply what God says is right. Who doesn't want what God says is right? I want what God says is right 
for my life. I want what God says is right for my marriage. I want what God says is right for my family. I want righteousness in me. I want righteousness in my marriage. I want righteousness in my family. I want righteousness in all that I do. I want to invite the fullness of God into this space. And we grow in him by leaning into what his Holy Spirit is saying is right. And we invite it into more and more spaces in our life. We can invite what he says is right into our relationships. We can invite what he says is right into our finances. We can invite what he says is right um, into even our jobs and what we do. I'm so thankful that years ago, my first job um, in ministry was janitor slash pastor in training. And I did that for uh, almost four years. I was the janitor of a, the facility that I was janitor of had a, had a Christian school in it and had about 130, huh? It was a long time. And so, and, uh, and we, and so it had a Christian school, had to clean the, the, the bathrooms and the toilets every day, had to carry out the trash every day, vacuum the carpets every day, do all that stuff every day. And I was a husband and a father and an ASU student and a youth pastor all at the same time. And so, man, life was just going in 100, mile, 100 places. And so as I'm cleaning, a lot of time it's at midnight when I can sit there and fit it in and got to get it done before students show up the next morning. And so I would be vacuuming. So I'm sitting there running my vacuum, and they had a whole bunch of desks at this school. And there would be this little piece of paper way up in the back of this corner of this desk, and I'm just banging it, vacuum cleaner, just trying to get that piece of paper, and it would just not get it. And then I'd go, you know what, that, that doesn't matter. Everything else looks pretty good, and I'd just sit there and move on and leave that piece of paper right there. And the Holy Spirit would not leave me alone about the piece of paper. And I'm like, nobody's going to get on to me. You're not saving me from getting my rear end chewed, Holy Spirit. Nobody's going to keep me accountable. Nobody's going to sit there and go, Brandon Clark, you see that little tender piece of paper over there? We're writing you up. I'm done with this mess. Don't you ever leave a little tiny piece of paper in the corner over there that nobody can see in the dark. Don't you ever do that. No, nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to hold me accountable for it but the Holy Spirit. We're sitting there and hold me accountable. I'd there, sit there and I'd finish, lock up. There was an alarm system, so I'd lock. There was a kajillion doors and hallways, lock everything up, set the alarm, get in my car, get halfway home, way too late. And the Holy Spirit's like, Brandon Clark, that piece of paper. Oh, my goodness, Lord, help me. I am helping you. And so, and I just turn around. And go back, open the door, undo the alarm, go in there, get the little piece of paper. I had to get on my hands and knees and go get it. Throw it in the trash and go. Here was the thing. The Holy Spirit understood that if I did not invite him into my work, let him talk to me about things only he cared about. Nobody else was going to see. Nobody else was going to inspect. Nobody else was going to hold my feet to the fire over then how on earth was I going to grow up and be able to have step into some kind of responsibility in leading a congregation and leading a church and leading things that there are times that only me and the Holy Spirit know that there's something that needs to be dealt with. Only me and the Holy Spirit know that this conversation needs to happen with this person or this person or this point of prayer. So guess what? If I had not invited the Holy Spirit and pointed out the piece of trash that needed to get picked up, it was not have had the preparation 
for where God is, has carried me into even today. And so that righteousness, if we don't lean into righteousness, we'll never see the fullness of God's righteousness in our lives. And so as we look at that, then there's also this other word that we have righteousness and we've been justified. And if you've been around church a long time or even a short time, and anybody said the word justified, you've heard this old expression. It's kind of churchy trite. I almost don't want to use it, but man, it just sticks. And it's justified. You just think of this. It's just as if I'd never sinned. His righteousness comes in and our faith in Christ makes it just as if we'd never sinned. And we need to embrace that. Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. <laughs> Hebrews 11.1, 1. now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And Galatians 3.10 says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So the natural question is then, so why was the law given at all? Well, guess what? Thankfully, Paul writes that very question in verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? If the law wasn't gonna make us right, why did all of Israel deal with it for all this time? And verse 24 tells us, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. It was put in charge. It was the King James Version says a schoolmaster, that we weren't mature enough to see everything at work and we need something to be able to point it out. And the law showed us where we didn't measure up. We didn't know what righteousness would look like unless we saw the measure of righteousness. And that was what the law said. It was the big 10, the 10 commandments, have no other God before me. And we get into the don't steal and murder and, and, and don't commit adultery and don't covet and all those different things. But that's like, because that's where destruction exists. And the law comes in and helped us to see it. In fact, the function of the law is to define sin. To define it so we know where, we've, where we're not measuring up, what's not Christ-like. And in that space, um, we needed that. We just went to our, our team retreat, got to be out on a beautiful ranch down on the Lano River, and uh, the incredible host just provides um, the, all these Polarises and four-wheelers and stuff for just to enjoy the space. And um, he asked, he said, I, I just don't want you to go too fast. You know, I just want you to just, it's just to sightsee. It's not for thrill-seeking, it's for sightseeing. And so it's like, yes, sir. So told our team, um, who some of which are on the thrill-seeking side of the spectrum, um, and said, hey, um, we've been asked to not go uh, too fast. And so everybody in the big group nods. And so we're out on the property, and I see my daughter, Brooklyn, coming along on a four-wheeler. And I said, um, and she wasn't going too fast, but I know her tendencies. And so I said, hey, uh, I don't know. Her left foot mama, I guess. And uh, so I uh, saw her out there and I said, hey, Brooklyn, um, you need to not go too fast. And she immediately said, what's too fast? <laughs> and I said, good question. So I gave her a metric and said, okay, it's this many miles per hour. And she said, 
That was what I was thinking. That was exactly the measure I was looking at. But she did not want to be held to some standard that she sat there and could ruin it for everybody because he had said that if we don't do this, he's just going to have to pull them all away and ruin it for everybody. Not knowing it, all of a sudden, sit there and be and put us in a place where it's like, well, I would rather not enjoy this at all than ruin it for all. And so actually understanding it brings freedom to be able to step into it. The vagueness of too fast is like, well, what's too fast? Well, everybody's got a different definition of too fast. So let's get a measurable definition. Let's look at this so we know what it is. And the law came in to help us understand that space. See, the law cannot cure sin, but it leads us to Christ. Going backwards into verse 11, it says, Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promises of the Spirit. As Jesus was teaching um, he, he made sure to clarify, and in fact, in Matthew 5, 17, he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He came to fulfill it, not to do away with it. It's still relevant. We still don't need to murder, okay? But we can't feel self-righteous simply because we've never murdered anyone. You know, Jesus then went and said, if you've ever hated your, somebody, it's the same as murder. Oh, my goodness. We're all on death row. And don't look at me like that. You know you've been that mad. And so, and we've all been in that space. We've all been in that space. And so, it, it, it shifted it. But Jesus came not to abolish, but to fulfill the law. And let's look at what happens when we let lordship reign. And we're just going to go back to the, 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 the core original law, the Big Ten, the, the Ten Commandments. It was given in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, where God tells Moses, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I'm the Lord. Remember where the spirit of lordship is, there's freedom. I'm the Lord your God. And then the very first thing that comes after that is you shall have no other gods before me. Now, we've always embraced the shall, shall not of, the, of it, as these big commands. You better not. Don't you dare. You shall not. I mean, we've, we've always had it in this big opposing thing. But when we look at the Hebrew there, that shall have is actually a promissory thing. It is this thing that you say, this is how this is going to be. This is how it is going to develop. This is, it is a forward-looking promissory language there. That this is how, if you will let me be Lord, you won't have any other gods before me. And so we have seen this in the wrong way. So as Jesus came, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it, to let the spirit of the Lord be within us and let him genuinely be Lord in those spaces, it changes these not from commands, but to promises. 
Because we have to think about this, okay? You, you, you go to your doctor, and he says, and you say, I've got a headache. And he says, um, okay, take these two aspirin, and you shall not have a headache. Okay? Your doctor don't talk like that. Your doctor says, will not have a headache. But it says, okay, okay, this will then create that. That is, they promise, receive this, and this is be the outcome. It says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I am the Lord who brought you out. You will have no other gods before me. We let him be Lord. We'll not have any other gods. The place where another God slips in, slips in is where we were not letting him reign. We're, if we all of a sudden, we can all of a sudden have a greed God in our lives if we're not letting God reign in the area of our finances. We can have a fear God come in if we're not letting him reign in our thought life. We can have all these other gods slip in, but if we let him reign, we will not have any other gods. It's a promise. We will not. If we'll let him reign, we won't murder. It's a promise. You, you won't murder. You won't steal. You, if you're letting him reign, you're leaning on his promise that he loves you and he's gonna provide for you and you're not gonna be lean into that place that you can kind of skirt your employer a little bit, peel off a little extra for yourself nobody's going to know. You won't steal. You won't commit adultery. It's a promise. Let God reign in your relationship and you won't commit adultery. How you want to adultery proof your marriage? Let God reign. That's it. You don't have to worry about it. Well, what about do I need to put all these apps on my phone? Do I need to do this? Do we not need to, you know, not make eye contact with another person of the opposite sex? Do I need to? It's like, you need to let God reign. Yeah. You need to let him reign. If you let him reign in your life, you're not going to end up in somebody else's bed. It's not going to happen. We'll let him reign. Let him reign and we won't covet that endless cycle of constantly being discontented with our lives and seeing somebody else's life and saying, I need that. I wish I looked like that. I wish I had that. I wish that was my job. I wish all of these different things. And all of a sudden now coveting just eats our lives on so many different fronts. And if we let God reign in our life, contentment and joy, and all of a sudden now that covetousness is gone. If we let him reign, he will fulfill the law and we won't covet. It's a promise. It shifts. It shifts from a command to a promise if we will let him do it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, which will hit five in a couple weeks. It says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let him reign, and you won't. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you all, one, are in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Our bottom line this morning is only God can finish what only God can start. Stay in him. Let him carry you forward. Keep leaning into him. That thing that started your relationship with God is the thing that will carry your relationship with God forward. And just let 
him reign and he will carry you forward into greater and greater freedom. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.